Welcome back to Agent Investor, inspiring stories of active agents investing in real estate and building passive income. In a business where potential deals are all around you, why not leverage your skills to invest for yourself, your family, and your future? And now, let's jump into the latest episode of Agent Investor. Welcome, everybody. I'm your host, Tom Caffarella. Uh, we've got a very special guest today, Larry Goings out of the Carolinas. Larry is, <laughs> Larry is a real estate investor. He's an author. He's a speaker. He's a trainer. Um, seems like you do it all in real estate. Well, there's not a whole lot in real estate I haven't done. What haven't you done? What haven't I done? What haven't you done? Wow. What have I not done? Um, wow. Let me think. Have you done no syndications, anything like that? I've done, I've done wholesaling, retailing, lease options, subject to short sales. I've used private money, private placements. I've been a hard money lender, still do hard money lending. I've done commercial, residential, multifamily. I've owned triple net lease properties. I've done subdivisions where I went in and bought land and cleared, graded, graveled, and paved and put in the roads and then built houses in the lots. And uh, Shoney's restaurants and, you know, multifamily. I've owned mobile home parks. Yeah. And, you know, so there's the only thing I can think of maybe that I haven't owned is is, uh, many warehouses. Story. Interesting. So guys, uh, for those of you who are on, uh, you know, we've got tons of experience on the line right now, both with Larry and myself. So let's jump right into it. So um, how long have you been a real estate investor for? When did you start? Uh, what time is it? Let's see. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, I bought my first house in yep. the mid eighties, my mid-80s. very first deal. Now I, I know you got a lot of young people on here. You, you might yep. have a few people on here that's been doing this for a long time, but my very first deal was an FHA non-qualifying assumable loan. I, I bought the house. Now, now this was back before 1978, a loan that originated before 78, because it used to be you could buy a house that had an FHA loan on it, and you could assume that loan just with your signature. No credit check, no qualifying, nothing, just your signature. But they cut that out after about the mid-70s, 76, 78, somewhere around there. But that was my very first deal I took over an FHA non-qualifying assumable loan and I gave the guy like $1,500 down and I took over the loan. The payments were really low. I rented it out for about five years and then I sold it and the person I sold it to took over the loan and I carried a second mortgage for some of the balance. Now, what was the benefit of assuming it just to lower down payment for you? Well, the benefit of assuming it was I got instant credit without having to qualify for it. I didn't have to go through the bank. I didn't have to, you know, apply. Nobody pulled my credit, you know, and it used to be you could do that, but they cut that out. Yeah. So uh, that was the advantage. I was able to get financing to do my first deal with only $1,500 down. Now, was your goal to eventually sell it or were you thinking that was going to be the first of many in your rental property portfolio? Yes. (laughs) My, My goal was to be a real estate investor. I yep. just I just wanted to get in the game. Then there's so many people out there that say, I got to get a deal. I got to get a deal. I got to get a deal. No, if you're brand new, you got to get a good deal. 
Absolutely. Sure it's a good deal. I always tell people, you know, I always tell people, your first deal's got to be a home run. That's extremely right. important. Absolutely. I see so many people in my market, you know, friends and, and you know, coworkers and things like that. Like you said, they're dying to do their first deal. So they just do one. And if it's a bad deal, it can knock you out. Right. You're exactly right. You're absolutely right. So many people just, I call it the, I got to get a deal syndrome. You know, they're like, man, I want to be a real estate investor. I've been to seminar after seminar, I bought book after book. I got home study courses. I'm just ready to do a deal. But the problem is, you know, most people think all they got to do is get a deal. You know, it's not unusual for somebody to call us up and say, hey, somebody wants to sell me a property. Guys, you need to remember this. You are a real estate investor. You buy houses. You don't get sold houses. Mm-hmm. Does that Absolutely. make sense? Absolutely. The other, the other side of the coin, it's kind of interesting. You've also got the people that have found great deals and they're so analytical and so nervous to do a deal that they don't, they don't do that good deal. Paralysis so, of analysis. I had a student just recently. She, she sent me a deal and she, was, she got it under contract. She got it approved. Uh, you know, got the bid accepted and she was really excited, but she was scared to death and getting ready to back out. And the thing that pushed her over the edge was I said, if you don't buy it, I will. (laughs) That's a funny psychological thing because sometimes we get, we get deals like this and I've got a partner in my business and he manages the construction and I manage the acquisitions of the business. And sometimes they'll say, Oh, I don't want that deal. And I'll say, okay, fine. I'll wholesale it. And then I get someone else interested and he's like, oh no, you know, um, that is a good deal. I want that deal. So it's like, it's the psychology, you know, when you think somebody else wants it, you know, it's right. like, um, it's kind of a crazy thing. So that, that person that um, was almost going to pass on that deal, were they local to you? No, they weren't even local. The property was in the Carolinas, but they were in South Dakota, I believe. Okay. But the property itself was close enough to you, right? Well, it was probably three or four hours away. I, I never looked at it, but I still, you know, I knew it was a good deal. Just right, exactly. I didn't know any more about the property than she did. So you talked a little bit before we jumped on that I found kind of interesting. You're doing a lot of deals not that close to where you're located, right? That's true. That's true. In fact, you know, I, I use this a lot. I was doing virtual investing before the term virtual investing was well known. <laughs> mm. So... I know a lot of people when they think about virtual investing, you know, it's kind of like, well, I don't know if scam is the right word, but kind of like there's a lot of mistrust that it could actually be done. So I know it's been done and I know you've, you've done it. I've done a little bit of it, but what would you say to somebody that's, you know, says that you need to be, you know, within a half an hour of a property that you do a deal on? I I would say that they're missing out on a lot of opportunity. Right. There's a lot of people that are set in their ways and, and, and they don't want to expand what they do, you know, mm-hmm. and listen, it's out of their comfort zone, but there's no growth in the comfort zone. Listen, the very first time I virtual, uh, virtually sold a property, somebody called me up. This was in 2001. They called me up <clears throat> And they said, I saw one of your bandit signs. I'm driving. Well, they didn't say bandit sign, but I saw one of your signs that say you buy houses. They were driving through town. The property was like three or four hours away. And they told me about the property and, and they told me about it and they were asking 15,000 for it. 
I made them an offer of $2,500, right? Mm -hmm. Like 20% of what they're asking. So, you know, I mean, but you got to learn, if you're going to make an offer of 20%, you got to know how to talk to people to get them to like you and trust you and leave the door open so they can call you back or you can call them back, okay? Mm -hmm. So sure enough, about two weeks later, she called me back and she said, Larry, I need some money and I need it quick. If you can give me $3,000 and I can have it by Friday, I will take it. Now, how far from you was this particular property? It was about four hours. In fact, I tried to drive there, okay? (laughs) I tried to drive there. I couldn't find it. And so when I got back, I called her. Wait, you drove drove four hours to find the property? And I got a ticket. I got a ticket on the way (laughs) there for speeding. Oh, my God. So so you you never saw it? I never saw it. So... But I drove around. I tried to reach her. I couldn't reach her. Finally, I got her on the phone when I got back. And I said, I'll tell you what, you send me some pictures of it. And if I like it, I'll take it. Mm-hmm. He didn't even live there. Okay. She had some tenants in it that were paying $250 a month. Yeah. So, and they were missionaries. So they were hardly ever there anyway. So what she did, she bought one of those. I don't know if you can even still buy them. One of those little disposable cameras, a little cardboard camera like you buy at Walgreens or CVS. Yeah. He sent it to the tenants. The tenants took the pictures. They mailed it to me. I had to go to CVS and get the film developed. Okay. So I looked at it. It was a nice little brick ranch house and, you know, two bedroom, one bath. It wasn't a big house, but it had a carport. And it was clean. I mean, they took pictures of the kitchen. There were even no dirty dishes in the sink. I'm like, wow, this this is okay right here for three thousand dollars, and they're paying two fifty a month. That's a hundred percent return right there. One of the biggest misconceptions that I always have to you know struggle with you know telling people is like some of your best deals are the ones where the property's actually in pretty good condition, right? Yeah. So a lot of people, they want to drive for dollars and they want to find the most beat up possible house they can find, but it's more about the actual seller than about the property, right? Absolutely. It's about the sell. It's about the situation. Okay. And, and what I did with this property was, you know, I, I was, I was wanting to turn the deal. So I sent out some emails to local realtors. I just looked online. I found some local realtors. I said, I've got this property. It's rented out for 250. I said, I'll take 15000 and I'll pay a $3,000 commission. Mm-hmm. Now, think about that. If an agent is a buyer's agent, okay, and they sell a property and they get 3%, that's the same as if they'd have sold a $100,000 house and got $3,000, right? Yep. So I had several agents that emailed me back, call me, hey, I'll list it for you. Here's a six-month listing agreement. I'm like, no, I don't want six months. I want to sell it next week. But one agent, he emailed me and he said, hey, for $12,000, I'll just buy it myself. So so he he said, said, I'm going to wire the money. I'm going to have my attorney send you the docs. The attorney sent me the docs. I signed off on everything. I sent it back. And the next day, I got a FedEx with a check for $12,000. And and this was back in 2001. Did you use any of your own money on that? Uh, yeah, I actually used my own three thousand dollars. Yeah, that. I mean, I guess you in know, that case, but, you know, funding but, that deal wasn't a, a big deal. <laughs> no, it wasn't a big deal. But after I got that check, I'm thinking, wait a minute, I just bought this house. I never met the seller. Yep. Okay, 
I, I, I collected a couple months rents. I never talked to the tenants or met them. I sold it to a realtor that I never talked to on the phone. I never met in person. And I did a closing virtually where I never had to go there. I did all my business by phone, fax, FedEx, email, and internet. I'm like, mm-hmm. I got to figure out how to do this again. And that was your first virtual deal that you did? That was my first virtual deal. And not long after that, I wrote the book called Getting Started in Real Estate Day Trading, How to Buy and Sell Houses the Same Day Using the Internet. So let's talk a little bit more about the virtual wholesaling aspect. So that was a, a you know a unique deal. I mean, paying $3,000 for a property is, is just ridiculous. Um, what do you do, let's say that the property is fifty or 60000 Are you When you're doing the virtual wholesaling, are you typically assigning a contract? Are you double closing? Are you using your own money and then reselling it? What, do you, what is your typical you know, like way to do it? All of the above. If I'm okay. doing a deal with an individual where I can assign the contract, I'll assign it and all I have put up is the deposit. It might be $100 or $500, okay? Yeah. If I'm doing a HUD deal, which I love HUD, I do a lot of HUD houses, and we're still getting properties accepted by HUD at 50, 40. We even did one a couple of weeks ago at 35% of list price. Mm. And to, right now in today's market, it blew me away. So, uh, so we're still getting those. But if I do that, I'll either use my own money. I have a line of credit or people out there listening. If you don't have money, you can use private money to do these kind of deals. Or if you've got them sold the same day, like I do on a lot of my properties, then what you could do is use transactional funding. So in the in the example where you're going to assign in or you're going to double close on it, how do you get the buyer through these properties to, to, to see them, to make a determination on whether they're going to buy? Well, most of them are vacant, okay? Like okay. I mentioned the very first one, it was a rental property, but I had pictures of it. But uh, most of them are vacant. You can put a lockbox on it, or you can have somebody meet them there. If it's listed with an agent or a HUD house, I'll just have a local agent go over there and open the door and shut their mouth. Mm. So, <laughs> so in regards to to a HUD property, let's say that you get you know a super deal on a HUD home. How much pushback, if any, do you get from other investors saying, "Hey, you know, I could have maybe just bought this property myself on HUD"? Well, um, you know, that's a really good question. But it hardly ever comes up yep. because, quite frankly, I've sold a lot of properties to agents who had mm-hmm. access to the same properties that I did. Mm-hmm. In fact, it's not unusual for an agent to say, you know, an agent who might also happen to be an investor, you know, like yourself, and they'll say, where, where in the world did you get that deal? This house is listed on MLS for sixty nine nine, but you're trying to sell it to me for fifty four nine. Yeah. How can you sell it for $15,000 under list? Yeah. And my standard answer is, do you want it or not? Yeah, yeah. I, I think that's the biggest thing kind of, you know, that I had to get over when I did my first couple of wholesaling deals. It's like, you know, you have to get over that that piece of it because at the end of the day, if it's a good deal, it's going to sell itself. And if it's not a good deal, no one's going to buy it. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. You know, it, there's there's a lot of money out there chasing good deals, a lot of fix and flip investors, a lot of wannabe landlords, and there's a lot of cash money out there on the sidelines, and you can find those deals. So what percentage of the deals that you're doing today in, you know, mid-2017 are virtual? Uh, pretty much all of them. And pretty that's- much all of them. And that's because, um, again, we, we talked a little bit about this before we jumped on, um, because your market specifically is too hot, right? 
Well, my market is I'm in the Carolinas and I'm right near Charlotte, right across the state line in South Carolina in Lake Wiley. And but I my territory, even though I have bought and sold properties in 12 different states, I focus primarily on North and South Carolina. Mm-hmm. And and I don't select a market. People say, Well, what market are you in? I, I'm I'm in the market. I'm in all of the Carolinas. We make like for HUD, for example, we'll make 150 HUD offers a day, right? Mm-hmm. Like you said, the guy that says, well, this is on the MLS. Why couldn't I have just bought it, you know, just like you? Well, if you'd have made 150 offers a day for the last six weeks like I did, you would have got this one along yeah. with the other eight or 10 that I got. So how are you valuing these properties? I mean, if you're putting in so many offers, like what, what are you using, you know, roughly to, to calculate what you should be paying? Well, we just take the ARV times 0.65 minus repairs, minus closing cost, minus we try to start out with around $15,000 in wholesale profit, but we try to keep it at least 12,000. Okay. (laughs) Sometimes we'll, we'll have deals that we won't make 12 on that we'll make 10 or eight or something like that. But I've even closed deals with a new agent that I haven't worked with before and, and maybe I'm going to break even or make $1,000. I'll still close on it, but I'll tell the agent, look, this deal's not what we thought it was, but it's our first deal with you. We want to go ahead and close on this deal. We're not going to make much money, if any, but I want you to know and want you to see that I do what I say I'm going to do. So your your tact is, you know, do volume. Do, do volume and you know you don't have to make a killing on each deal but you want to do as much volume as you can is that right that's right stock them deep and sell them cheap okay makes sense <laughs> <laughs> for sure um so um and now you say so most of the deals you're doing are virtual what percentage of them are hud versus some other marketing method um well a lot of them are hud probably i would say 60 percent are hud yep. we also do a lot on the mls yeah, but we just make a lot of offers on the MLS. I only look at three bedroom houses or two bedroom if it's over twelve hundred square feet, so the buyer could add a bedroom to it. Uh, I only look at. Um, I, I, I don't buy anything less than a thousand square feet. I want it to be at least a thousand square feet. Okay, and we just make a lot of offers on the MLS and HUD, and that's where we get a lot of our stuff. I've done direct mail. I've done all the other sources. We have a website to drive traffic to. We have bandit signs out there. But the vast majority of our stuff is HUD and MLS. So you mentioned that you focus on the Carolinas right now. Um, It seems like it's working really well for you. What's preventing you from even going further out? Well, we will be expanding. We have a 10-year target to be in 10 states. Full steam ahead. Our 10-year target, which we have about eight and a half years left, is to be in 10 southeast states. Okay. And and what, I guess, what's the limiting factor for that? Like, what would, what makes it so that it it will take, you know, that amount of time versus, like, you know, like, I guess I don't understand the process exactly. Is it that you need to know the valuations? You need boots on the ground? Uh, Tell us a little bit about that. Well, what we try to do, we try to do things slow and steady, okay? Yep. We we try to focus on the strategic items, not the non-strategic item. A strategic item is anything that's going to bring money into the, to the, to the company, right? Mm-hmm. So we do have a 10-year goal to be in 10 states, 
full steam ahead. Now, I've already done deals in 12 different states, but we focus right now and are, are concentrated on the Carolinas, all of the states in the Carolinas. So, And we have a very small team. All right. We have a very small team. I've got one sales guy and I've got two acquisition people mm-hmm. and um, and that's it. And somebody doing closings for us. Yeah. So but we're going to continue, continue to grow this and, and eventually move into one state, one state, one state. And like by the end of the year, we'll be doing stuff in Georgia full time, which uh, we're already doing a few things in Georgia. We did a deal in, in Albany, Georgia, uh, a couple of months ago. So we're, you know, kind of testing the market and seeing what's going on, what the best areas are. But, but our 10-year goal is to be in 10 states, full steam ahead. And, and then, our, then from there, we want to franchise this thing. We want to be the Keller, Keller Williams of wholesale. Cool. Let's take a quick break from the episode. To get weekly video trainings and connect with other agent investors, join our free private Facebook group. Just go to joincameroncoaching.com and we'll add you to the group. We'd love to see you there. So the um, the markets that you're already in that you've been doing a lot of business in, is it real easy for you to wholesale a deal right now because you already have a lot of contacts or do you go through the same process of reaching out to as many people as you can every single time? I do have a lot of contacts. I have a huge database of investors and buyers being both in the real estate and in the education business. Yep. So I do have that. But quite frankly, most of our buyers of our properties, which this is really a good thing because it helps us to show our new students and the new investor that it can work for them, even if they're just getting started, because most of our properties sell to a new buyer we'd never met before. Uh, okay. That's really interesting because again, I don't do, I don't, I don't do very much wholesaling at all. I do almost all fix and flip. So it's interesting to me because I would have thought that you'd be probably selling to the same people over and over again, nope. but um, you're finding a new person. So when, let's say that you get this deal under contract, say a HUD property, you're getting it and you have that $15,000 margin. What are, you, what are the best mechanisms that you found to find that potential buyer? The number one source of our buyer leads, bar none, is putting out bandit signs that say foreclosure, yeah. have a number on it, and then we write, handwrite in it like, you know, three bedroom, two bath, 1,200 square feet, brick ranch, or something like that. And we put out at least 25 of them all around the house, around the neighborhood, in front of CVS, Walgreens, Walmart, convenience stores, and the phone rings off the hook. Mm. And we tell them up front, hey, as you can see, this is a foreclosure property. It's a deep discounted property because we put the price on it. You know, you can see we're asking fifty four nine for this house and, and houses in the neighborhood are selling for seventy and 80000 So this property is going to go very, very fast. So number one, are you a cash buyer? What are you looking to do with this property? And when can you close? Can you close next week? We always ask the people, can you close next week? Can you close next week? Mm-hmm. And so um, when you put up those 25 banding signs, like what are you getting for volumes of calls on a particular deal like that? Well, we might have bandit signs out on anywhere from, I, I would guess, around 10 to 15 properties at a time. Yep. And we probably generate 150 to 200 calls a week. Oh, man. So who's, t- who's taking these calls? That sounds like almost a, a full-time job right there. They all go into Podio automatically, okay? Yep. They, we use a so- service called Freedom Voice. 
you know, kind of like call fire or call aid or, you know, call rail, but freedom voice is what we use. When the person dials the number and it records the message, it's a, it's a call capture service records the message. It emails that message to Podio and creates a contact record and creates a, a, a task for our assistant to call that person back and qualify the lead and then turn them over to our sales rep. Interesting. So when you're putting up those banding signs, like how, how, what radius around the subject property are you putting them? That's, you know, that's a really, really good question because some of the areas we're buying properties in, like we bought a property, um, I think we closed on it last week in, in a little town called Teachy, North Carolina. <laughs> okay. I definitely don't, definitely don't know where that is. I, I'd never, I'd never heard of it. And I live in the Carolinas, yep. but I looked it up and the population is 900. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So there's nobody there. So we tend to, to, to put signs all around the property, convenience stores and all that, but then we'll go to the next small town over, you know, and put signs out in the next areas. And, and in small towns, it's not unusual for people to drive 10 or 15 or 20 miles to, to go home or to go to work. So it's not a big deal. Now, if you were talking about in Atlanta or in Boston or in Charlotte or somewhere like that, that that's a big deal just getting across town. Mm-hmm. But in a small town, there's no traffic, so it's no big deal. So on a day-to-day really high level, what's your involvement in all this process? Uh, I stop in every day. I have an office here. I'm in my office right now. I have an office at our office building that we own, and we occupy about half of it, lease out the other half. But, mm-hmm. but I stop in and check on everybody and just do a walkthrough. Hey, what do you guys need? Is there anything going on I need to be aware of? You know, I'm really just kind of the guy that signs off on everything. That's it. You know, so what they have a deal that they're concerned about. Hey, you know, we put out a bunch of signs. We've only gotten eight calls on this property. The calls we did have said it's in a rough area. It's horrible, you know, or whatever. So then we'll decide, do we need to ramp up our marketing even more? Or do we need to drop this property? You know, just certain things like that. So, so I'm the one that signs off on everything. But as far as day-to-day actively in the business, you know, I, I don't have to do that. You know, I'm, I'm writing books. I'm writing courses. I'm updating our websites. You know, I'm coaching students, you know, and helping them push them through on deals and stuff like that. So that's kind of what I'm doing on a day-to-day basis. So for the most part, it's running, you know, pretty self-sufficient. I would say about 92% on autopilot. Yeah, it's, it's almost impossible to get it up to 100 because there's always something that, that pops up. But 92% true, is, 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 is pretty pretty good. Um, and we run our business, just so you know, you probably do as well. We run our business based on EOS. What is that? Are you, You're not familiar with EOS? No, no. Oh, my gosh. You got to read the book Traction, write it down, yep. Traction and Rocket Fuel. Okay. And Traction and Rocket Fuel uh, are the books that uh, talk about the type of, um, uh, of system to run a business, where we have an accountability chart, we have a vision traction organizer, you have a visionary, which is me, you have an integrator, which the integrator is the person that, that works in the day-to-day business. I'm the visionary. I'm, I'm the one that says, we want to be the Keller Williams of wholesaling in 10 years, mm. Okay. And, and, and what is it? What is the book called again? I, I get to, I get to take this down now. It's called <laughs> <laughs> before I forget, cause I'll forget once you jump it's off. It's called the phone. Traction by Gino Wickman. 
I think I have it right now. That's not it. I was looking in my library here. I let someone borrow it. I let someone borrow it, or I would show it to you. But how are you gonna how are you gonna let somebody borrow your best book? I know, right? Well, I have it on Audible. I love Audible. Yeah, Audible is the best. Books a week on Audible. Yeah, that's to me. That's one of the the biggest like ways. I mean, Audible is great because you're driving in your car. You know, you're you're sitting around. You know, doing nothing else. I mean, I'm bored. Like if I if I'm I can't, you know, vacation, I can't do anything just sitting around. So anytime I'm, anytime I'm anywhere, I got to have audible on or some other form of kind of training, uh, or else I'll go crazy. <laughs> I hear you, man. I'm the same way. Anytime I'm in the car, I'm listening to a book. The thing I love about audible, it keeps track of where you are in a book. Yeah. Open it up on the website or on your iPad or your iPhone or whatever. Yeah. And you're you're at the same place you left off. Yeah, so it's, it's it's a lot better than back in the day when we used to have to order cassettes and CDs and stuff like that, yeah, right? I know, right. Oh man, the technology's gotten so good. And like you said, even you know when you first started doing your deals, even talking about getting pictures, and it's just like they've you know things have been made really really easy. We're really lucky to live in this era where you know you can get data and information you know so quickly. Absolutely. Even just like putting out your signs. People say like, well, how do you know the person didn't just get your signs and throw them in the dumpster and send you a bill? Well, we use a little app called Simple Crew. You've probably heard of it. Simplecrew.com. And you sign up the person that's going to put your signs out. They take the app. Okay. And then when they go put out the signs, they take a picture of the sign and it uploads it to the app and it geo targets where the sign is, where they took the picture. So you know exactly the number of signs they put out and exactly where they are. Now, you talked a little bit about, um, you know, you've done some mailers, you've done some other lead generation strategies. Why, why aren't you doing more of that now? Is it, is there a strategic reason? Well, what I have found in, in direct mail, mm-hmm. you need to make a pretty decent profit to do direct mail, okay? Absolutely. Now, yeah, twelve to 15000 is okay, but remember, I've got an acquisition person, I've got a salesperson, and they each got to get paid, plus I have overhead and all that good stuff. So think- right now, I'm getting free leads, HUD yeah. MLS. It's free. I don't have to spend twenty, thirty thousand, forty thousand dollars $40,000 a month on direct mail, just to get deals, okay? So I, I'm just I'm just using my acquisition manager, and that's my lead fee. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So I think you know I do a ton of mailers, I do a ton of internet marketing, but I think what a lot of people don't realize is how much you have to spend to get a deal done. So so right now in my market, right now in my market, we're spending anywhere from seven to fifteen thousand dollars per deal that we do. And now when we do a fix and, and we're doing fix and flip, so the pro, the margins are higher and I'm in an area where the prices are high. So the spreads are pretty big, right. but, um, but you know, the, what I see a lot of times is somebody that, you know, jumps in, they're a new investor, they do a hundred letters a month and it's just, it's not enough. I mean, you'll never, you know, do a deal on that low volume. Right. Right. It, so, it, it's tough. Direct mail is tough. And here's the other thing with direct mail that you well know. When you're doing direct mail, you've got to, number one, you got to be a closer. You got to be able to close that sale. Okay. And number two, you got to have a great, great, great follow up campaign because a lot of your leads will turn into deals six months to six years down the road. Yeah. So I've got, so I've got an inside sales agent that takes the first appointment, uh, that takes the first uh, call. 
And then we have specific people on our acquisitions teams that, that meet the, 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 um, the sellers at their property and negotiate. Those are the closers that you're talking about. Right. And then depending upon what happens on that appointment, it's either a deal for us or it goes back to the inside sales agent to nurture. Because like you mentioned, it's very, very common that someone will call you out. You go out to their property and they'll just say, yeah, you know, I was just curious. I'm thinking about selling in the next two to three years. And those are great leads, but they're not instant income, you know, obviously. And And as much money as you spend on direct mail, you've got to have that nurture follow-up campaign to be able to maximize your expense. Yeah, you're you're really making me think a lot about the way that I'm operating my current business because the way that you're doing things um, could definitely be implemented in my market. And I never really thought about going outside. And I don't, I wouldn't probably even have to go that far outside my market. But right now, I'm really focused on stuff that I can get to within 45 minutes. But within 45 minutes, right now, HUD properties don't work. But there are those tertiary markets that are an hour, two hours from me where this stuff probably would work really well. So I'm, you know, getting an education while I'm talking to you as we speak. That's awesome. And, you know, I do hear people say, you know, hey, Larry, I got your HUD book, but that won't work. It won't work in today's market. Listen, it might it doesn't work in today's market where I live. But yep. I go outside and I'm still buying houses at 50, 40, 30 percent of list price and I'm still making money. And it's like I tell people, you know, when they say, oh, this won't work. I say, let me ask you a question. If I could hand you a house that you could pick up for 30 grand and you could turn around and sell it for 45 grand. OK, make fifteen thousand dollars. In fact, if I brought you a buyer and you had $15,000 profit sitting there, do you care if it's in Boston or Dubuque, Iowa or Jackson, Mississippi or South Carolina? Does it matter? No, absolutely not. And I I think like I might've had my blinders on a little bit. I mean, I'm also busy in my own business doing my flips and everything else, but I, you know, I'm, I'm definitely now, you know, you're making me think twice about um, some of the strategies that we have. So what would you say, you know, to, to the person that day one, they, they want to get into real estate investing. They don't have any money. They have time. They want to work hard. How can they start to do deals like within the first 30 to 60 days of being in the business? Well, first of all, you need to get some education. Number yep. one, you got to learn how to analyze a deal. If you don't know how to analyze a deal, then you don't know how much to offer, right? Mm-hmm. So number one, you got to learn how to analyze a deal, okay? That's what you got to do. Analyze a deal, analyze a deal. Number two, you got to line up your money, whether it be transaction funding, private money, credit cards, home equity line of credit, private money, whatever it is. You got to line up your money. And number three, just start making offers. Make offers, make offers, make offers. That's the three most important things in real estate. What about the people that don't have money? What about the people that, you know, don't have a ton of money, you know, to, to put into a property on day one? Well, all they need to do then is work sources where they don't need money, like from sale by owners. So you're going to put out bandit signs. You're going to work Craigslist. You're going to do direct mail, whatever that is, to, to find for sale by owners so you can assign a contract, okay? Mm-hmm. Or, or you can still buy HUD and MLS. I mean, I bought a HUD house two weeks ago. We used an attorney, a local attorney, where with HUD, 
you, you put up a $500 deposit if the if the accepted bid is $50,000 or less. If it's over $50,000, you put up a $1,000 deposit. Mm-hmm. So this one was like in the 30s, I think. So we put up a $500 deposit, but our closing attorney allowed us to use our buyer's money to pay HUD. So the mm-hmm. all, only money we had put up was $500 on a HUD house. Mm. on a HUD house. So we didn't have to come up. We had the money. We could have written a check, but we didn't have to. The attorney said, oh, your your buyers already wired their money. Do you know why our buyers already wired our money, Tom? Because it's in our contract that says the money must be wired 48 hours before closing. Yeah. So so not having money isn't a reason to get started is the bottom no. line, right? It, no, it's an excuse. It is an excuse. Well, you know, I think it's an excuse, but I also think that people sometimes really believe that. And I, I think there is, for a lot of people, just that. And I, I can tell you, I was one of those people when I first started. You know, I didn't really believe that you could do money with, you could do deals with no money. And well, listen, you have to have money, but it doesn't have to be your money. In fact, last yep. week I was speaking in Atlanta, okay? and And I was talking to people about, you know, about don't let money be an excuse. In fact, I said, how many people in this room that have the money, that have the money, but we would be willing to fund deals for other people who don't, if they go out and do the work, you put up the money and they give you a piece of the deal, right? And you have the money, raise your hand. And about half, well, about a third of the room raised their hand. And I said, keep your hands up. Everybody else that's broke, Look around. There's your private money right there. Now you don't have that excuse. And right now in this market, there's way more people with money and no deals than deals and no money. Oh, yeah, man. The biggest problem right now that people have is deal flow. Exactly. Yeah, I've got people all the time. I mean, they know how many transactions we do in my market. They come to me. They're like, sell me something. Sell me something. And, you know, we, we, you know. We don't like to sell a lot. We don't like to wholesale a lot because we like to do the deal. But, you know, right now, and I don't think there's been a market where it's been so easy to wholesale a house in probably, I don't know, 10 years, maybe. Yeah. And and what you could do with some of those leads that you don't want to fix and flip, maybe it's not in the right area or it's, you know, maybe it's a better rental or something, then wholesale those deals out to a landlord. Yep. Tell us a little bit about... Um, your kind of take on rental property, where we're at, and um, whether or not you own any, and what your plan for that is. I do own. I do own rental property. However, I do. I do not have tenants. I have homeowners in training. I never, ever, ever do a straight rental or a straight okay. lease. I always do lease options or land contracts, and I want my tenant to put up three to 5,000, sometimes more. I've had them put up as much as $10,000 as option money or as down payment on a land contract. So I do not have tenants. I don't have rentals. I have homeowners in training. And you don't have any concern or you know problem with what if that property appreciates a lot and then they exercise the contract and you kind of lose out on that equity? The the price range that I'm buying in now, if I was buying like where you are, the, the price range of, of a fix and flip, you know, two, 300,000 or something like that, yep. then that would be a concern. But the price range I'm buying in, if I'm picking up a property for 20, 30, $40,000 and I'm doing a lease option at 69, nine or 79, nine or 89, nine, 
the vast majority of them will probably never exercise that and close on it anyway. Plus, in the lower price band, 50, 60, 70, it's typically always going to be a 50, 60, $70,000 property. I think I need to move out to where you are. <laughs> very, very jealous right now. Like almost nothing in Boston cash flows right now. Um, it's, it's to the point where I've got a pretty decent sized rental property portfolio. We've sold off half of it because the prices are so outrageous right now. We, we ran our numbers and we said, okay, we can basically make what we would make holding this property for the next 15 years today. We can take our profits, get paid all up front, or we can hold on to them for the next 15 years and collect the exact same amount of money. So it's gotten, you know, pretty wild, but so these properties that you're paying 50 or 60,000 for, what are you getting on a month to month basis for rent? Okay. Uh, yeah, I'm going to share that with you, but I want to, I want to give you an idea here before I do that, based on what you just told me. Yep. I want you to remember this time. This is very, very important. Equity doesn't mean anything until you can convert it to either cash or cash flow. Mm-hmm. It doesn't do any good to have $200,000 equity sitting in a property if you're getting $100 a month cash flow on it. Which is, pre- which is pretty much why we sold a lot because we were getting a couple hundred, 300, 400 a month and we were looking and saying, okay, we can just get $150,000 right now. So, yeah, your return on that was probably two or three or 4%. Yeah, it was crazy. So we just analyzed it and we said, let's cash out some. And we're, we're just thinking right now, what do we do? Because, you know, we still want to own rental real estate, but, you know, we've, we've considered even going into other markets because, of, because markets like yours, well, not Charlotte, but the markets that you're talking about, the ones that are more flat, right? you can still cash flow in. Well, not only that, but one of the things you could do since you're in the business and you understand it, you should become a local hard money lender. We've considered that as well. So that's something that, you know, we're, we're tossing around a lot of different, I mean, it's, it's a weird situation. I mean, I'm 35 years old. I, I grew up poor, never had any money. And now it's like, well, well, what do we do now that we've got, we've got some cash, we got to figure out how to, how to properly allocate it. There you go. There you go. I mean, listen, if you can get, if you can get 15, 16% return, you can double your money every four to five years. Yeah. So, um, so those, those properties you're buying for 50, 60,000, what are you getting on a month to month for those? Well, first of all, I'm not buying them for 50 or 60. A typical deal might be I pick it up for maybe 20, 25, $30,000, and I'm going to do a lease option at, say, 69.9 or 79.9. I'm going to get about 5,000 down for option money. So let's say I have 30,000 in the house. Now, by the way, I don't do anything to it, I hate rehabs. I commend you on what you're doing. I'm a licensed general contractor, but I hate rehabs. I don't do them. I won't do them. And you can't make me. I I hate them probably more than you. And I'm very blessed and lucky that I've got a partner who loves them and can keep me 100% out of them. That's awesome. If you have that situation, man, that is (laughs) awesome. That is great. Yeah, I I, pro- I don't tell him enough, you know. See, I can't tell him he's too. I, I'm too lucky because then, you know, whatever. You know, but, <laughs> but I but I am lucky because you know all of the the day to day headaches and hassles and stuff like that. Like it allows me to do more strategic things, which you know that's what I like to do. 
Exactly. So I'll take that property that I've have 25 in plus closing costs. I paid 30. I got five down. I have 25 plus closing costs. Let's say I have 27, five in it. I'm going to get probably around 750, 795 a month rent for that. Okay. Yep. So, so you're making easily a few hundred bucks a month. Right. That's awesome. Well, we're making it all because we put our own money into it. Yep. I don't use, I haven't used private money in the past. Yep. We're just using our own money. Now I know I could leverage and do more deals, but, but I'm, I'm 20 years older than you are. Mm So, you know, I I don't really want to use leverage. I want to wholesale to keep one wholesale to keep one, you know, that sort of thing. But right now, as you and I were talking before we got started, I'm wholesaling everything right now to build up the war chest again so then I'm going to go on a buying spree in the next 18 to 24 months when things go on sale again. So when things go on sale again, are you going to still be in these kind of remote markets or are you going to go into Charlotte or whatever? Let me, let me tell you something. That's a really, really, really good question. Think about it. In, in Boston, okay, you're, you're in Boston, right? Yep. So in Boston, how many people in Boston of the population do you think were born there were raised there and have family there and ties to the community? A, a good number, a good number. Okay, let's say, let's take that number that you have in your head mm-hmm. and then let's go outside of Boston, probably 50 miles to a small town. Think mm-hmm. about a small town. Okay? Even more, those people, you are all probably born there and have ties to that area. See, I love, love, love the small towns because people were born there, they were raised there, they have ties to the community, they have small town values. And if they run into trouble paying their bills, they can call their mom or dad or aunt or uncle or grandparents to help them make the payment. Yeah, well, I guess to to answer your question, Boston compared to these towns that are far out, I mean, you've got a lot of people that come to Boston because there's jobs there and there's a lot of transplants. Um, There's still a lot of people who grew up there, but like you said, you know, those far off towns, way, way more. I mean, even in Charlotte. Yeah. It's hard to find somebody in Charlotte that was born and raised in Charlotte. Yeah, I could see that even more because Charlotte is definitely one of those cities that's a destination now for a lot of people. It's, it's an area where people are migrating to. See, Boston's a little bit different because our prices are so high and our weather is bad that there it, it, people go here for jobs, but it's not as much there's not as much incoming population as there might be to like an area like Charlotte where you've got good weather, you've got right. jobs, housing is a lot lower. So uh-huh. you guys are definitely experiencing a lot more growth than we are. Right. That makes sense. But the, the main point I wanted to make was I love the small towns. I don't have a problem at all. As I mentioned, I bought a house a week or two ago and, and a population of 900. Yep. And, and they know everybody in town. Yep. So on those particular deals, what is the, you know, benefit? What What is the reason that because the purchase price is so low, what is the reason that these renters that you're, you know, you're, you're saying are going to be buyers maybe um, would do that instead of just buying? Well, number, number one, if they're buying a house for less than a hundred thousand, okay. A, a, a bigger majority of them don't have great credit and will be yep. able to get a loan. Also, if they're buying a house, to put 20% down on, you know, unless the house is probably, you know, $80,000 or more, then 
then the banks aren't going to loan on it anyway because a lot of banks have a minimum loan amount of 50, 60, sometimes 75 or more. Mm-hmm. Okay. So we're serving a market and a need that nobody else is helping. And by them putting down three to $5,000, they have some skin in the game and they're not going to walk away from it. How difficult is it for you when you get this deal for twenty or 30000 to then find this person that wants to do this? Oh, let me tell you what, man. The phone rings off the hook. We do the exact same thing we do when we're wholesaling, except this time our bandit sign says owner financing instead of foreclosure. Oh, man. So, wow. A lot of, you know, a lot of times I talk to people and they're doing the same exact thing as me. You're doing things that I've, I've never done. So I definitely is very interesting to me and especially in a different part of the country. Right. Um, so you talked a little bit about, um, you know, the, the HUD program that you have, the coaching that you have people come to your office. How often you said every six weeks or something they do about every six weeks. We have a group of about 15 to 20 people. Now this is our high level coaching students that they pay, you know, tens of thousands of dollars to come, but they're working with me personally. I help, I either get their business up and running for them or I take their existing business to the next level by showing them how to scale it. Mm. So what are the different types of programs that you have when you're working with a newer investor like that? Well, I I basically find out where they are, where they want to be, their likes, their dislikes. Because let me tell you something. If you don't like something, like if you don't like rehabs, I I can't teach you how to rehab if you don't like it, right? Mm -hmm. Besides, I wouldn't teach how to rehab anyway, you know. I've seen people come into our office or come to our events or whatnot, and and they say, hey, you know, I'm a rehabber. And at the end of the event, they're like, I'm not rehabbing any more houses. I'm done yeah. rehabbing houses. Yeah. I'm done dealing with contractors and rehabs and all that stuff. Yeah. So, but I but I want to find out where they are, where they want to be, their likes, their dislikes, their strengths, their weaknesses, their assets, their liabilities, and where they are now, where they want to be, and we're gonna have we're gonna create a path, an action plan to help them get there and give them clarity. That's one of the things that people say I've helped people out a lot with, whether it's in our books, our home study courses, or seminars, or our Inner Circle Apprentice mentoring program, is we give them clarity because there's so much stuff out there, you know, that people can watch and see and listen to. They don't know where to go. They're confused. That, you know, they go to a seminar and they get home, they're like, oh my gosh, what do I do? You know? Yeah, it's tough. I mean, you know, you go to one of those three day things and there's so much information and, you know, really there's a lot of steps. I mean, real estate investing, it's not super complicated, but you definitely need to know what to do. And a lot of times I feel like you need a person to go to, right? So something happens and it's not in a book, you know, who do you go to? And the difference in real estate between making the right decision and making the wrong decision is tens of thousands of dollars. Right. Right. It's like my students email me all the time. You know, do you have an attorney in this city or in this state? Or, you know, do you have a land contract agreement for this state or this or that? You know, and, and they're just asking me questions and I just send them what they need. And 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 they're really surprised. They're like, wow, you answered this in eight minutes. How, you know, how do you find the time to do that? Yeah. That's because I put my own business on autopilot and I'm able to help other students. Don't get me wrong. We make a lot of money teaching and educating people how to do this. That's a whole nother business. Yeah. It's a very successful business. But 
our students' success rate stands on its own. So if people want to learn more about working with you, what would be the best way to get in contact with you? I think the very first thing they should do, uh, we talked about giving them a free book, a mm-hmm. uh, free HUD book. That would be a great place to get started. And we have a special link that we put together, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's freehudbook.com forward slash. What is that link? Do you know what that link is? Yeah, let me get that right now. I can I pull this up. Forward slash. Let me look. Yeah, so it's it's uh, www.freehudbook.com uh, forward slash re mogul. So real estate mogul, but just the r e m o g u l. Right. Okay. Good. 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 I yeah. knew it was a special link. So. Yeah. But yeah, guys, you're going to get a free copy of my HUD Homes half-off book. It teaches you how to, wherever you live, it doesn't make any difference. We're going to show you sample deals. We're going to walk you through the whole thing in a free book, okay? So, uh, you know, yeah, we're going to email it to you. But, you know, if you want to pay shipping, we'll send you out the physical book and get the audio book with it. And by the way, it is on Audible as well, but you have to pay for it. But, uh, but, you know, you can get a free copy of the book by going to freehudbook.com forward slash R.E. Mogul. Awesome. Well, Larry, I want to thank you for, for jumping on today. I know you're busy and you've got a lot of stuff going on. So it was really good having you on. Awesome, man. I really, really appreciate you having me. And you just keep rocking it and doing what you're doing, man. Thank you, Larry. All right, everybody. uh, Thank you for watching and we'll be on again next week. I'm Tom Caffarella and we'll be signing off. Thanks again for listening. Thanks for listening to Agent Investor and especially thank you for sharing the show with other agents and reviewing the show on iTunes. Every time you share the show, you are potentially changing someone's life. To get weekly video trainings and connect with other agent investors, join our free private Facebook group. Just go to joincameroncoaching.com and we'll add you to the group. We'd love to see you there. And stay tuned for the next episode of Agent Investor.